All right, here we go. So we are in John chapter 8, verses 37 and following. The F, it's, it should be 1F, that's my error. We're not going all the way to the end of the chapter, but we're going to the end of the subject. And the title of the message today is, He is a Truth-Telling Agitator. And that's talking about Jesus, and you'll see this play out. And I will try to not keep you too long. I've got to get on a plane shortly. But glad you made it, and I'm glad that I get to fellowship with you digitally. So I want to show you this uh, slide that I showed you last week. You can see this is in the temple area, and you can see particularly the court of women is where Jesus is talking to them. And here's the temple area. You can see the whole temple area, and you can see within it, and right now you can see these columns that are popping up, and Jesus is within these columns. That's where these giant candles are that are lit by there's big oil basins on the top of each one of them so it really lights it up at night this is where jesus is preaching and there's the columns you can see and it's nighttime so it looks something like this and jesus has token has told them as they have gone from this feast of tabernacles it's lasted for seven now we're in the eighth day and it's culminated at a very climactic moment when they're doing the water ceremony again. They've been doing it each day, but this time it's a little bit different. And it's taken all day uh, for the priest to do his part and uh, circles around the altar that they've got there with all the palm leaves, he pours out the water. And there's also wine, which is noteworthy in all of this. And Jesus then says, I am the living water. And that made sense to so many people because up until that point, nobody had realized this was designed to talk about Jesus being the sustainer of all life. After they've celebrated all week, this idea that water provides life for vegetation for us, and it's just a source of life, and that Jesus now says he is the living water. That is huge. And then on top of that, we have the people that light the giant candles uh, at the top of these posts that are 75 feet high. There's four of them, and it's just very much illuminating the whole thing. And it's a, the music's playing, the choir is singing, and then Jesus says that he is the light. So everything's making sense now, yet there are people that are in darkness that don't get it. So now we're going to jump into this text after they've been criticizing him, John 8, 37. I know that you are offspring of Abraham, Yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. I speak of what I have seen with my father and you do what you have heard from your father. Now they just got done telling him a lie. They said that we've never been enslaved. We are this from the seed of Abraham. And he says, I, I know this. What he didn't do is he didn't highlight the fact that they had been enslaved for many years. That's one of those reasons why they do these ceremonies. They wandered in the desert after they were freed from slavery. They wandered because they refused to accept the gift God had for them, the promised land, very symbolic of heaven for us. But God's people chose to say they couldn't have it. Well, yes, they could, but because they refused it, God gave them 40 years of wandering, and he provided for their food and he provided for their water. It's a very special time as God was made it clear, he is the one who provides everything that we need. And they claim we were never in slavery. Jesus didn't highlight the fact that they were. There are sometimes people amongst us who don't realize that they are also enslaved because of the sin 
that enslaves each of us. When we are captive to sin, we are enslaved to it. Jesus told them that. They're criticizing him. They've made fun of him for saying, you're trying to kill me. But the crowds know that they want to kill Jesus. They sent guards in to arrest Jesus, and they came back, and they didn't have him arrested. So the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the other religious rulers said, why didn't you arrest him? They said, no one ever talked like this, because he had them in the palm of his hands. So you can imagine that these underneath these glowing lights, everyone, for the most part, is in the palm of his hands as he speaks to them articulately and powerfully. He's not only getting in their, their heads, he's getting in their hearts, except for the religious leaders that are so critical. So he tells them, I know you're the offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. I speak of what I have seen with my father, and you do what you have heard from your father, which you might know, might not, you might not know at this point, is he's actually building his polemic to argue that the father they claim to have is not really their father. Verse 39 continues, they answered him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. You're doing the works your father did. So he's given him a contrast. If you were really from Abraham, you'd be behaving like Abraham would want you to behave. But instead, you're behaving like your father. So he's telling them, Abraham's not your father. I want you to pay attention to the fact that I have carved off part of verse 41. And the reason for that is because this chunk goes together. Let me remind you. Chapters were added by Stephen Langton in the 12th century. Verses were added by Robert Estienne in the 16th century. Remember, he was the publisher who rode by horseback. He was not a theologian. He was not a priest. He was not a preacher. But he divided the Bible from the chapters, not only in chapters, he took it and added the verses that we now have today. And that's why you see sometimes breaks in thoughts in the middle of a verse. But we'll... Continue reading. They said to him, We were not born of sexual immorality. We have one father, even God. So they're claiming that God is their father. What they hadn't paid attention to is Jesus has been doing this in his speeches there in the temple. He's been saying he's been sent by his father. They're claiming they're, that God, the father, is their father. But he's telling them, no, no, he's not. And they're saying, well, we didn't have anybody mix our, uh, through our heritage, mix in our family. We didn't have anybody involved in sexual immorality. We, we come from a, a line of God's people, so God is our Father. <clears throat> That's their argument. Verse 42, Jesus said to them, If God were your Father, you would love me, for I came from God, and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Why, why do you not understand what I say? It's because you cannot bear to hear my word. Ouch! So Jesus has the crowds in the palm of his hand. So many people are believing in him, even people that are supposed to arrest him. 
Yet the religious leaders don't understand him because he can't bear it, because it convicts them. He is shining a light in a dark place, and they don't look too good right now. I want to remind you of John chapter 14, verse, starting with verse 16. We'll get to this later and study it more deeply, but Jesus said to them, to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. He's claiming deity then. And also in our passage, he's claiming deity because he's claiming to have come from the Father. See, we have people in our world that try to say that you can have the Father without the Son. But Jesus clearly says in John 14, 16, um, it's not 16, it's John chapter 14, verses 6 and 7. If those of you see this, just a reminder, uh, your pastor sometimes types in the wrong numbers. It's John chapter 14, verses 6 through 7, if you're taking notes. Jesus made it clear, you cannot have the Father without the Son. Back in our text, John chapter 8, verse 44, Jesus continues, You are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. But because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. Ouch! Not only does he tell them that Abraham is not their father and that God the father is not their father, he tells them that the devil is their father and that the devil was a murderer and a liar from the beginning. And he's calling them liars and murderers. See, they want to kill him. And everybody there knows it. And they lie. You say you were never in bondage? Everyone here knows you had 400 years of captivity. Jesus highlights the fact that they're still in bondage, the religious leaders, because they're still in their own sin, too worried about being critical of other people. They don't even self-examine. Let me remind you in Genesis chapter 2, verses 15 and following. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. And then I'll also look at Genesis chapter 3, verses 4 and following. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened. And you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Jesus takes the religious leaders and the people that are in the palm of his hands back to a very common passage. And that is that when they, they ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, they became more like God, knowing good and evil. And mankind were, was introduced to sin. And he's highlighting the fact that these people that are criticizing him are just like the devil, who was a liar from the beginning, 
and doesn't really understand the things of God. Back in our text, verse 46, Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? Whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. So he told them that their father is the devil and that they are not of God. The God they claim to serve, they are not serving. They're serving the devil. These are big accusations as Jesus purposely agitates them, and it has to be this way. There has to be trouble in order for for everything to play out the way it's going to play out. They're going to have to get so upset with him that ultimately he will have to be sentenced and he will die for all of us. We know that story. We'll get to that. But they are not of God. Their father is the devil. That's what he's accusing them of right in their own temple, surrounded by all these walls, and that they feel helpless. They can't do anything about it because he speaks with such authority. In Luke chapter 11, verse 23, Jesus said in a a moment when he was dealing with uh, casting out demons, He said, whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. You're either for him or you're against him. He just let the religious leaders know that they are against God. Mark chapter 9, verse 29. I want to give you this verse because there are people that talk about this today. They talk about people that are demon-possessed. I've I've certainly seen some children that sometimes make me wonder when they misbehave. And some adults as well. But there are people that talk about, oh my goodness, can you come over? I've got, I've, I think I need a demon cast out of my family member or something like that. And they talk about these demons are really rough and tough. And if you go back into the Bible and you find out the, the hardest demons to cast out, the one that really stands out is in Mark chapter 9. The disciples, the 12 apostles, could not drive out the evil spirit. So they brought him to Jesus, this individual who was mute. And Jesus cast out the spirit. And then afterwards, the disciples came to him privately and said, how did you do that? We couldn't do it. And Jesus told them, you want to know the secret? Here it is. This kind, these big, bad, and difficult ones, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. I wanted to bring that to your attention because Jesus was quite challenged in this particular situation. He was actually accused of being evil himself and demon-possessed himself. But one of the things that he brought out in the text in Mark is that he's actually of God, and that's how he was able to do such things. And these big things, the biggest things in casting out demons can only be done by prayer. All right, back in our text I want to read this again. John chapter 8, verse 46 and 47. Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? Whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. Your father's the devil, and you're not of God. And he's claimed multiple times that he is. All right. So, Let's get to the so what part of the text. Think about how God is speaking to us 
emotionally, mentally, physically, and spiritually. This can all apply. Here's some things we can learn from the text. First of all, sometimes we are too busy trying to find fault in others we don't see our own. That's the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and the other religious leaders. Even when the truth is plain and clear, those who are not right with God often cannot grasp it. Either you are for Jesus or you're against him. This is painfully clear as they're standing in the court of women inside the temple area and Jesus has the crowds in the palm of his hand. And it's very clear that the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and the other religious leaders are not with him. They are against him. And if you do not accept and follow his word, then you don't really know him. That's what Jesus said to them. Your father is the devil. And the reason why you can't understand what I'm saying to you is because you can't hear it. And the reason why you can't hear it is because you refuse. You're not really from God. And the last thing, prayer is a most powerful tool for overcoming life's biggest challenges. So no matter what you're going through, and I haven't had a chance to get to talk with you today since I am off-site doing this remote preaching. So I don't know what's been going on the past couple of days as I snuck off out of town to surprise Stephanie. But I do know that life continues. Your life continues, mine continues, and oftentimes the devil will throw things at us that are so difficult. And oftentimes Jesus has the answer right in front of us, but it's hard to hear it because we're not staying close to him. And when life comes hard and fast, sometimes we struggle knowing, not knowing what to do. It's like when you get a bad headache. Some people might even say a migraine. First thing we want to do is reach for the cabinet for the pills that we're supposed to take. But the reality is prayer is a most powerful tool for overcoming life's biggest challenges. Have you ever considered in a moment when you might want to reach for the medicine cabinet to say a prayer first? Maybe God will use the medicine to help you, but maybe he'll heal you before the medicine. Or maybe you're dealing with struggles with different personalities, maybe at work or school or some friends or maybe even family. Prayer is a most powerful tool for overcoming life's biggest challenges. When Jesus' critics tried to claim that he must have been demon-possessed, he demonstrated powerfully that clearly he wasn't. But that the, he, he had the solutions. And so do we. We have access. We have prayer. Whatever you're going through, whatever, whatever life's handed you in the past couple of days, or weeks, or months, prayer is a powerful tool. As Jesus is purposely agitating his critics, he might be purposely trying to speak to us as well. Who is our Father? Who is it that we are living our lives for on a daily basis? If we were to dare ask Jesus the question, Jesus, can you tell I love you? What would he say? I dare you to pray that prayer. And as I wrap up this message, I hope that God has spoken to you 
emotionally, mentally, physically, and spiritually by His Word. I hope that Jesus, if He needed to, has agitated you to a point of changing whatever you need to change. I hope that you're capable of self-reflection rather than trying to find faults with others. I hope you don't mind. I'd like to wrap this up in prayer. God, thank you so much for allowing us this virtual type of atmosphere where I can be many miles away in a church that's rich in history, that's older, and yet be sharing your word in a message with a church that's very dear to my heart. God, thank you for allowing us this type of venue. More importantly, thank you for your word that does sometimes move us in a way that's agitating to our souls because we need it. Sometimes it's encouraging. Lord, your word does get to us emotionally, mentally, physically, and spiritually when we allow it. Help us to be self-reflecting, to do what we can to improve so that you would be pleased with the way we conduct our lives. I thank you for my church family. I thank you for Rick that is a part of my church family that's leading worship for us today. I thank you for Stephanie and Peyton that are here with me. I thank you for the comfort of your spirit, the guidance and the prodding. I thank you for the promises that you give us in your word. Even I thank you for the conviction that you provide as we read your word. God help us. We sure, we surely need it. And God, we want you to be our Father. We want to follow you and obey you, and we want to bring glory and honor to you. So help us with that. I ask that you'd provide safe travels as uh, Stephanie and I will return soon. I ask that you would I ask that you would just jump right in the middle of every individual and family that's represented in this communication right here, right now, today. I thank you for those that are serving. I thank you for those that are willing. And God, I ask that you would help us as uh, individuals and as a body of believers to represent you well, because without you, we can't do any of it. Thank you for your mercy. In Jesus' name. Amen.